Hello, everybody, and welcome to Communication Nation. And our mission on this show is to help you build powerful communication skills so that you can move your message effectively forward in the world. And today, we're joined by a keynote speaker, a best-selling author. She's been featured on so many TV shows, The Today Show, The Early Show, CNN, you name it. She's been there. She's the author of The Art of Small Talk, Deborah Fine. Thank you for being on the show today. Brett, it's my pleasure. You do good work in this area. Thanks, Deborah. I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, just to kind of jump into it, you know, let, let, let's talk a little bit about your story. So you're actually a former engineer that, that dreaded small talk, and then you decided to do something about it by studying communication skills. And fast forward to now, and, you know, you founded a company called The Fine Art of Small Talk. You coach C-level executives and managers to perform this art form. You know, when did you decide that the teaching communication skills was going to be your life's work? I don't know that I decided it. What I do know is that I changed my world because through observation of people like yourself, people born with the gift of gab, let's say, I, I changed. I made friends, grew romance, built professional relationships, not to a hundred degree uh, success, but um, certainly a little bit more success than when I didn't do it at all. And And then I had an epiphany that others might need to learn it. It had never occurred to me that I wasn't the only one standing in a room by myself, watching all these clusters of people talking to each other and mingling. I just thought I was the only one standing there by themselves with a spotlight on me. <laughs> so when I had this epiphany uh, that it wasn't just me, then I just thought, well, maybe I could offer some of these skills or certainly learn better skills and, and really study it and then offer it to others. And, and actually, I first offered it to engineers and learned quickly, uh, organically, that um, it wasn't just engineers like me that were dorky. So it turns out all kinds of people in all kinds of professions are not born with the gift of gab and yet need it or want it. So Very. that's basically what happened for me. Very cool. And I kind of love the way that you initially targeted engineers, right? You're like, well, these are my people. It makes sense to kind of, you know, market my services to them. And then you realize, wait a second, people across all verticals have issues, you know, with communication skills. Just curious, when you first started to kind of like dive into to comm skills and learn a little bit on your own, like what was the first book or two that, that, that you read that, that really kind of like sparked your interest in it? Well, I know I read Dale Carnegie. Now you're really putting me on the spot because you're asking me to remember what I read over 30 years ago. And I can't even remember what I was reading this morning. <laughs> my, my excuse is that I'm a big, an avid reader. The re reason I can't remember today what I'm reading is because I no longer get to see the book cover because I read on a, a device. But that's my whole, a whole other challenge in my life right now. Um, but um, I, I'm, I, I read, uh, I think I may have read. I, well, not over 30 years ago, Susan Roan's um, How to Work a Room, which I have to say I struggled with that book. And the reason I did is because I thought, um, basically, I think the premise was to have chutzpah, to just go out there and meet people and just, and I thought, well, I don't have that. You know, I, if I had that, I wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> when I was an engineer, I... Um, I, I often work conferences. So someone like yourself, Brett, would come up to the table in an exhibit hall. I'd be on the other side of the table. I'd represent projects to you. I had no problem doing that. I was very well trained. But if you put me in a hospitality suite at the end of that day, I, I was like a fly on the wall. I had no idea how to talk to you beyond 
what do you do, Brett? Brett would say what he does. And what do you do, Deborah? I'll tell you what I do. And then what do you talk about after that? And so right. I was sort of begging without, I wouldn't dare have asked my bosses. I didn't have the gumption to make requests upon my boss in those days, but um, I would have liked, they, they would say, well, just go mingle, Deborah. go network. Mingle was a big word back then. And I just think, just tell me how, tell right. me what to say. And right. I can almost do anything. You know, I did get straight A's. So just put it in a book. I will study it and then I'll memorize <laughs> it and then I can do it. But you're not telling me how to do it. You're just telling me to do it. And so there were a lot of books like that. And I thought, I just want to know what to say. How do you know, how do I start a conversation? What's an icebreaker that I can use? Or how do I exit a conversation so that you can't hold me hostage with this story about your last golfing vacation or your kid that's going to be an Olympic champion and he's only five years old? <laughs> I love it. I would. I, I might be the guy boring you with his uh, golf round conversation, but, okay. I, I, but I, I don't think that I'm convinced my son's going to be an Olympian. Not yet, anyway. He's oh, only, do you have a son? He's, only 18, he's only 18 months. By the time oh, he's five... Yeah. I'm sure I'll be convinced he's going to be. Well, you may not. I was going to tell you, there's going to be other parents. I mean, I, I hate to, I, I always don't ever say this to people been there, done that. Don't ever do that. But so I'm not going to do it with you, Brett. I'm just going to say, it may not be you that says that, but someone in your little group is going to say it. So I look forward to that. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll learn some things in this conversation that will allow me to exit that conversation gracefully. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, I, and kind of like you said, uh, it, it's not as easy as just, you know, go mingle, go have some chutzpah and, and get out there and be great at small talk. And I think that that type of, you know, coaching crosses all verticals it can be a little frustrating when, when people don't break things down in a tactical way and they just say, go do it. It's like, that doesn't really help most of us, honestly. Uh, so, so let's talk some small talk, right? You know, it's a really scary idea for, for some people. You could even say a lot of people, I think going to a cocktail hour or a dinner party, you know, can really kind of send shivers down your spine. So, you know, why do you feel small talk is so important? Well, before I answer why I think it's so important, I will tell you, I don't know that people are scared, but I, what I do know, Brett, is that we lack control during small talk. We, we, we have complete control when we're negotiating a contract. I don't mean we're going to win the negotiation. I just mean mm -hmm. we've learned the skills to negotiate. If you're a fourth grade teacher, you've learned the skills to be a fourth grade teacher. If you're um, an attorney, you've learned the skills. You can don't go do the research. You can say, let me get back to you. When, you're, when you go to a coffee shop to meet someone for a business um, meeting and or a date, or you're walking down a long, long hall with a, a person, a decision maker that's gonna hire you, you are not in control. You're just hoping you'll hit it off with each other. And that is, that's, that's the thing. We have no control over whether we hit it off or not, or whether the small talk comes. And that's where I think I come in is I supply the tools and the skills and what to say. So you, can, you can't always hit it off with somebody, but usually you can. But I'll that's get a back good to point. It's a good point. Question. It's Thank the mystery. You. The mystery, I think, is it's what makes it so scared. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you have control when you've studied something or acquired skills. You, like, if, like, I lost a lot of weight at one time in my life. And you, it says, and it's, you know, you, can, you don't need to buy any more diet books here. Just take it from me. You got to put less in your mouth and you got to move more. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I read all the books, but I just didn't do it. So that, that never happened. <laughs> There you go, guys. A little bonus, a little communication skills. We, we got some nutrition coaching going on. <laughs> yeah. so, 
but I, I want to answer your question about, so I used to think small talk was a waste of saliva. And I think a lot of people do <laughs> for, two, for two reasons. Thanks for laughing with me today. Brett. <laughs> well, you've, yeah, you've got a great sense of humor. You're making me crack up. Um, there's a couple reasons why um, I think the primary reason most of us demean it, uh, the people that do demean it, demean it because we can't do it. I mean, it's like, I used to say, oh, those people that run all the time. I mean, I don't have time for that. Well, okay, I get why you're, Deborah, why you're demeaning it, because you're afraid to run because you're so overweight. <laughs> so, so we demean it because we can't do it, or we like to think it's just not intellectual. But this is what, why I think it's important. I really believe this. Small talk is the appetizer for any relationship. It starts a business relationship where you cultivate a connection, where you gain referrals or build business or, you know, work alongside or work for, this starts with small talk, the relationship. Now, you can work for somebody and never have small talk, but you never develop that relationship, do you? So there's no loyalty. There's no um, connection there. The same thing goes when you think about going on a date, Brett, and I don't, I don't know if you're married or not. You did say you have an 18-month-old, so we're, the whole audience is hoping. But nonetheless, or a spouse or something. But... But romance may start with, you know, swiping left. Okay, that's a transactional. I don't know if it's right or left. I'm too old to know the difference. But, but, but it, ultimately, when you go face to face, it's the small talk that leads to romance. Then it's deep talk. Then it's a strong, you know, feeling of um, uh, connection, etc. And the same thing goes socially. It starts with small talk, and then we become friends, deeper friends sometimes, social friends sometimes. But small talk is the appetizer for any relationship. And truly, that is what I believe. And that's why I think it's so important, because I think relationships are the grease that rules our world, whether it be with our kids, for our kids, with our you know, uh, people we work with, building networks, whatever the case may be in your life. And, what you, and I don't mean you, Brett, I mean your audience. Building community, building volunteers, getting people to attend a function where you, that you think is important. You have to build a community but you start with small talk and build those relationships. Small talk is the appetizer for right. all relationships. That is all about really, food, all I know. Listen, well, you know, listen, we love food here in America. Good. So I think it makes sense to relate everything to food, but I think that is, is totally true. If you think about the people in your life that you have stronger form bond with, you can almost always relate it back to like some initial small talk in the early stages of that relationship. And then, there might be people that you see on a regular basis at work or at school, wherever you go on a regular basis. And maybe you do communicate with them, but you only communicate about work. You only communicate about school. You never have any of that kind of joyful, so-called meaningless small talk. And, and that relationship never really goes beyond business, never goes beyond school, never gets to that personal level. So, so I think and it's I, not always meaningless. I do want to throw out that to me, small talk can be something as simple as if you and I were actually having a real conversation, which we're not you're interviewing me, but mm -hmm. where I would have, if I had met you, let's say for coffee, you were considering me for an opportunity to work for your programming. Let's pretend. And yeah. I found out as I did, you had an 18 month old son. I would have, as a good conversation, would have said, well, tell me about him. Like, what's he up to now? Like what keeps him busy now? I would have just shown some real interest because even though I wanted to work for you, I, I also want to build a relationship with you if we decide to work together. So it's not meaningless. And your 18 month old is certainly not meaningless to you or me. So small talk isn't always meaningless. Small talk is just, like I said, an appetizer. Yeah. We could talk, you know, if you and I, if, you know, I'm an avid reader. And if you had the, a love for trees the way I do, and we could talk about this book over story that I read and how, and then we would talk about the environment. That is still small talk, I think. 
but it's it's meaningful at least to me yeah no 100 percent. and i and, and meaningless but it was certainly not, not the right word to to use here but i i think that um you know even when you just kind of spoke about uh, my son and some hypothetical questions that you would ask me about him you didn't just say like you know you know how is he you you asked me or something how old like, is he? I yeah, mean, I know how old he was, right? you asked me like a little bit more specifically. You, you were like, so, you know, what's he up to right now? You know, you kind of like put me in a better position to give an interesting answer, which I thought was re re really right. pretty cool there. Uh, but let's kind of rewind a little bit here and, and and we'll get into all, you know, what to actually do in the conversation. But how do we even start the damn conversation? Right. Like, let's talk about like uh, icebreakers. You see a group or you see a person that you'd like to engage with. How do we start? Well, the best way, and nothing is guaranteed, I can approach you and, at a meeting, or let's say a, a convention, and you see my name tag, and my name tag says my name, says that I'm a keynote speaker and an author. But let's pretend, Brett, that you are in a position, you're there because you represent uh, the software for the legal trade. Um, it's it's uh, intellectual property software. And once you see my name tag, you're a networker. You decide I'm of no use to you, because some people think that's what networking is. And I'm friendly. Hey, Brett, Deborah Fine, I, we haven't met. I see you're at this convention. Then I use one of my favorite. And you say, oh, hi, I'm Brett. But you're hesitant because you're not going to really allow me to engage you. And I say, so, Brett, tell me, you know, what brings you to this conference? And this is probably your answer. Oh, you know, I'm here for my company. I need to go. I see somebody over there I need to talk to. And you exit. My icebreaker didn't work. It wasn't a bad icebreaker. As a matter of fact, I'll go back to what makes a good icebreaker. The problem was you decided when you saw my name tag that you didn't want to spend the time to talk to me. The same thing would happen, Got by it. the way, if um, I was on the dating scene. Now, I happen to be married a very long time. So but pretend I was on the dating scene and somebody wanted someone young or blonde or I happen to be tall or short. I mean, I wouldn't stand a chance if they were looking around the room. People decide before you open your mouth whether they're willing to talk to you or not. That often happens based on how you look, based on bias, unfortunately, uh, based on what kind of work that you do, based on maybe they see a client over there that they want to talk to or a girlfriend and you got in their way. So they don't always work, but these are the ones that usually work. It's based, what I like to say is it's based on the free information we have about the occasion location. So let me give you an example. Today, I have free information about occasion location in that we are doing this virtually, Brett. Okay. Yeah. And, and honest, I mean, I, I, I did my homework. I watched your podcast. I learned about you. I have no idea where you're located. Either I didn't look or I forgot one or the other. So what I would on any virtual call or at any meeting, instead of saying, what do you do at a conference instead of saying, what do you do? What I'll say sometimes, because it's based on free information about location, Brett, where are you today? So where are you today, Brett? Yeah, yeah, we're, I'm in lovely New Jersey where we have uh, more diners than anywhere in America. What a great answer. Who knew? <laughs> I didn't know that. But now I would find, then I would, I don't think we have time for chit-chat. Did you grow up there? Have you ever thought about living somewhere else, I might ask? Did you ever live, something along those lines? So, so that is a, that's an illustration of free information about location. Here's free information about occasion. I'm at a fundraiser. What got you involved in this fundraiser? I'm at a conference. Um, what have you heard about this speaker? I'm at a, a, a cocktail party, a, a holiday party. How do you know the host or hostess? So, so here, the free information is the occasion. How are you connected to it? Um, so I'm at a 5K run. I'm at the start line. 
have you done this before or you know or how do you train or uh, uh, if I'm at the gym what else do you do besides you know these the machines because I mentioned on a machine use the free information about occasion and location so let's say I am at a, a networking event so tell me what got you involved in this chapter or this organization or this association or what do you get out of this so that's the best way to start easy um, and relevant and it makes sense and i think it kind of yeah. breaks it down in a way that it might kind of ease your anxiety level when approaching well, also, and, a, and a new person who are parents and you you're not quite there i don't unless you go to gymboree or something but we do <laughs> and those of us you know with, with i'm a parent um i always made the effort to say, tell me about your kid. Because the free information was, unless I didn't think you were the parent, if you were the grandparent, or I, I made sure you were the parent before I, I, I don't make assumptions about anything. I would just say, well, tell me about your child. Or if I was back to school night, I would say the same thing. By the time my oldest was um, very athletic, um, I would, if there was a new face on the sidelines at the beginning of the year, I would walk up to that person and say, gosh, I've never seen you before. What, you know, what's your connection? Oh, that's our kid. He's new. He brought... And I'll never forget this. And, you know, I learned about their kid and um, they said, you know, you were the only one that walked up to say hello. That's another thing. You know, most of us, if people would just come up and say hello to us at church or synagogue or at a meeting or at a party, we would be happy to talk to them. But the problem here is that we're all waiting for someone to walk up to us. Yes. I, I think it's up to me to take the risk to walk up to somebody else. Yeah. And it, it's hard. It's overwhelming because we fear rejection. But trust me, if I I fly all over the country for my work, if I had to fly into Newark tomorrow, <laughs> that's far riskier than walking up to someone at a party and starting a conversation. It's true, a hundred percent. But that that doesn't take away from the fact that, of course, there's a baseline of anxiety that that builds up in the center of your chest before you approach someone new in any circumstance. But I think, like you said, you know, lean on the occasion, lean on the location, and, and those are really the two areas that we should be kind right. of basic basing our initial icebreaker on. And those are two things that almost anyone can be, feel comfortable, you know, saying a sentence or, or making a question or, or a statement about. I think that's a really, a really good place to start when you see a target, someone that you want to start a conversation with. And, you know, something that you talk about in your work a lot is like, okay, we, we've made the icebreaker, you know, but we've introduced ourselves. We Now we know this person's name. I know that you, you have made it uh, a focal point of your teachings to to really make people realize the importance of names and, you know, remembering people's names, using their names. How do we most effectively, you know, remember people's names, use people's names? Should we be saying them throughout the conversation, just at the beginning of the conversation, just your overall stance on the importance of people's names? Well, let's start with remembering people's names. It's, it's yeah. for some, some people will tell you it's so hard to do like my husband. <laughs> would tell you how hard it is. He, he always says, oh, I can't do it, but she can, meaning me. Mm -hmm. But if you ask my husband who plays every position, and we, we live in Denver, so he definitely knows the Denver Broncos. But if you ask him who plays every position on the New York Jets, who aren't that great a team, let me throw up, he would know every everybody's name and what their position is. Uh, same for the Bears in Chicago. My husband is a sports fanatic. He has won prizes for trips for two to Europe, $50,000, trips to Vegas, stereo equipment. I could just go on and on. He is a sports whiz. I've been there. 
I've been there. Yeah. Okay. It, so, it sounds like he might play fantasy football, to be honest yes, with you. Yeah. Yes. If you know every player on the Jets, that means you yeah. probably play fantasy football. Well, I mean, I mean, so he's quite good at it, right? Sure. And, um, okay. So, um, so he so can I, he can remember things. It, oh, he he is certainly uh, capable. Capable. Can't remember to pick up his clothes, but yes. <laughs> so here's my point: If Steve put half the energy into remembering five people's name at a party that he was introduced to, he, of course he'd get it down. He has mm-hmm. no disabilities. My husband. He's a sharp guy. He he just. It's not that he doesn't care. He's a nice guy. It's that he doesn't try. And the best way to remember people's names, most of us do this. Joe, it's good to meet you. Marianne, it's good to meet you. We do repeat their name, but Mm -hmm. as we're repeating the name, we're thinking about what am I going to say next or the business at hand. And we're Mm -hmm. not really thinking about Marianne. So what I make myself do is think her name is Marianne. I'm not allowed to think beyond that. I have to try to take it in for one moment. I mean, that's all you've got and say to myself, her name is Marianne, try to remember it. And then I'll move on in the conversation. Because you know what's grand, Brett? This is grand. And because I know it, because I do this all the time. I'm great at remembering people's names because I try so hard. So I'll say, oh, Marianne, good to meet you. Um, Joe, good to meet you. And then someone will come up to the group and or the table. They'll sit down. I'll I'll say, hi, I'm Deborah. Fine. They'll say, I'm uh, uh, Carrie, whatever. Carrie, this is Marianne. This is Joe. And I'll, I get to introduce people to other people all the time. Don't you love being around people like that? Because I have everybody's name in my head. Yeah. At conferences I do it, at tables I do it, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, but here's the other thing. <clears throat> Assume the burden of other people's comfort. Now, if, if people in your audience who are introverted and or shy, two different things, they are, they are the nicest people on the planet, really. Um, in every way, except most of us, I'm no longer shy, but I am an introvert. Most of us, the only person's comfort we're concerned with in social interactions is our own, which is why I could, now I know exactly what you look like, Brett. I pretend I'm like in the airport and I run into you and I know that you know that we both know that we have forgotten each other's names, right? Yeah. So in my other life, I would have stood there, you know, for the five minutes in the airport where we have these, how have you been, how's yeah. the kid, da, 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 And then we would have parted and you knew that I knew that we knew that we didn't know each other's names, but Everyone knows it. that was more <laughs> comfortable for me than doing what I make myself do now. And this is what I make myself do in any, in any interaction like that. I'll say the minute I know, I don't know your name. I'll say, I know I've had to ask you before. I'm just having a brain freeze. Could you please remind me? Or, uh, you know, I'm so sorry. I just, I'll basically lie. I'm terrible at remembering people's names. Sometimes I'll have forgotten your name within two minutes and I'll say, could you, could you remind me? I I, I don't know. My whole Rolodex um, is just off and I, and I just lost it. Would you remind me of your name? I assume the burden of saying, I'm so sorry, I forgot your name. So I can properly introduce you around and make sure I use your name. Now to your question about using someone's name, Mm -hmm. try to find a natural way to do it. I mean, I think I've used your name only a few times. People like you, you feel like somebody's trying to sell you. It has to come naturally when you use someone's name. Um, The real key is that first moment together when you're either learning someone's name and, or you're running into them. And let me throw out that, for instance, uh, I don't know when you're going to play this podcast, but if it's during holiday time, I don't go to a holiday party without reviewing in my mind who's who could be there, who could be there. 
And if it's something that's a professional, like I have a couple professional events that I'll be going to, I will look through the directory and remind myself of their names. And if their spouses and partners' names are listed, oh, what a gold mine. I'm not just t telling you I sit there and memorize it. I just review it, review it, review it, review it. Because, so then they're, they're, especially the spouses. When you can remember a spouse's name, it's just magical. Um, when I go to a meeting and I sit down and there's one of those long tables and often I have to present about, you know, why you should hire me. So there's six other people at the table. As they go around the table to say who they are, I'm scribbling. I actually use a pen or a pencil. I know that's foreign, but a pen or a pencil and write their names down in a diagram so I can do a shout out. So Margaret, um, do you have any objections to that or what, what else would you like to see me add to that? Oh, <laughs> Really, John? I, I hadn't thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. So I know everyone's name. I've written it down. I love that. And I really like that tip about before you go to a dinner party or a holiday party to just kind of like almost prepare a little bit. Who's going to be there? And then if you have the opportunity to look up a directory and look up their spouse's names, even better. But before I go to a, a party or, or get together, usually I'll have some type, some sort of goal going into that party, you know, some type of communi communication skill that I'm trying to work on, you know, whether it's remembering and using people's names, or maybe it's use more vocal variety or, or, or pauses or listen to people more fully. I, I try and have something, some skill that I'm working on when I'm in these, uh, you know, occasions, because I think they are there. They're the perfect opportunity to practice these skills. They really well, are. I love what you just said, Brett, because what you're saying is that you, you break it down and you practice so that you can find some level of confidence and comfort. And I so believe in that, that we all want things to happen instantaneously is like, okay, I'll try this. And then either it doesn't work or, but everybody who's ever tried to run a 5k knows you don't just go out and run a 5k first. You run a, you know, a few blocks, then you run maybe a 1k that, and you build yourself up over time to a 5k and then maybe you even run it faster. And so what Brett is describing to me, is the best way to find success at doing anything. I mean, Brett describes his eight, 18 month old. I'm guessing he's either on the cusp of walking or he is walking. And if that doesn't describe exactly what Brett did, you know, steps where he's holding onto the couch, steps where he's holding onto his parents, but then baby steps by himself. And that's what, and he practices and practices and soon he's running and you'll have to catch up with him. So, um, but Brett, I love how you focus on one thing at a time because it does feel overwhelming to try to manage everything, whatever the topic may be. Yeah, you, you can't be trying to juggle too many balls at once. And if you know you're if you're going out there in public and you're trying to have good posture, make better eye contact, slow your speech down, tell a great story, and do all these things at once, you're not going to wind up improving any right. of those areas. I think right. better to work on one skill at a time, whether it's one party at a time or one day at a time. Just try and break these communication skills down, and then they'll layer on top of each other. In a year or two down the road, you look at yourself, you'll be like, "Wow, I'm a really." overall powerful communicator right. um so right. like let's say we're at the party or we're at the you know the networking events you know how do we kind of find the target of who to start a conversation with whether it's like someone that's going to be open to talking to us someone that we're going to enjoy talking to you know what's the art of finding the next target that we're going to communicate with at a at a social get together always look for somebody standing by themselves okay i i i, I I mentioned it briefly a moment ago in that how great would it be if somebody walked up to me while I was standing by myself at a party, at a meeting, at a back to school night, 
Well, we're all waiting for somebody to do that, except for those really extroverted people who just because if they are, they're not often willing to walk up to somebody new either. Typically what happens with extroverts is that you'll see a crowd around them. By crowds, I mean three to, you know, eight, because there's mm-hmm. so much energy coming from an extrovert, people tend to group around them. So they never notice those people standing by themselves. So here's the bottom line. Look for somebody standing by themselves. They'll think you are the new Messiah. Um, I, I get that if you're invited to a party where it's all couples and you're single and there's five other couples, I do understand that that, that is a much bigger challenge. So mm-hmm. you're going to have to, I believe, walk up to one of the couples or wait to see them break up. But th- that's a whole different ball game. If you walk in late, people have clicked up. Uh, any place, a business meeting, um, a, a party, you need to get there on time. I know you don't want to. I don't want to either. But here's the deal. This is what I this is what I do. Okay, but I still do it. But it really helped me get to where I am today, which is a pretty successful networker and teacher of. <clears throat> Before I enter the room, party, you know, hospitality suite, uh, <clears throat> meeting, what, back to school night. I tell myself, I turn it into a task. Just sort of. That's what you do, by the way. You turn each. In, um, event that you go to into a task. Well, Correct. I do this. This is what I, I, we do the same thing. Here's my task. When I enter an event, when my spouse drags me to one of his horrible dental reunions, <laughs> what I, do, I tell myself, you're going to talk to two new people or three, usually not more than three. One, I get to create how many people mm-hmm. I have to walk up to. That is the task. And guess what I get to do after I've met, I find two people to talk to standing by themselves. I find three people to talk to standing by themselves. If it's a business thing, I always make it at least three because mm-hmm. you spend 85, $125 and your evening to network in order to build business or build referrals or just connections. And you don't meet new people. You just meet other people that do what you do because you see the same faces there. You've wasted your money and your time. I, I really think so. So I tell myself, okay, Deborah, you've got two to three people to meet tonight. That's your task. And when you're done, guess what you get to do? Did you notice I didn't say after you're done and you're really successful and you've got their card and you've got an invitation? No, I just said three new people. Guess what you get to do? You get to leave early. That's a reward that I would like. I would really like that because I go on time. So I want to get out of there. You get to go out to the reception area, hang out by yourself with your little device and scroll for a while. You get yeah. to drink. I love to drink. Now I get to drink. I've met my task. So let me take it back to extroverts also. Please do the same thing. Please look around the room. Maybe introduce them to other people at the party or at the event, or if nothing else, to spend five minutes with them, talking to them, getting to know them. Unless someone is a class A jerk or abusive in some way, this is how we meet new people and build our network and build our community. But we turn into a task. Just like I, I, I tell you, I just really admire that you think the same way, Brett, about communication, because I don't think it's thought of, are you a good communicator? Yay or nay? Instead of break it down one at a time, approach it like a task. Most people I bet that are listening to this broadcast, if not all, are great at tasks. For sure. Uh, clean clothes on, their homes are clean, they they did they do well at work. So why can't you make this a task? Yeah, you just have to mindfully set a task before you right. go into these events. And I love that. Just, you know, have a goal in mind. Whether it's one, two, or three people, I'm going to meet one, two, or three right. people at this event. And then if I do so, 
there's a reward waiting for me at the end, whatever it is, whether it's a cocktail or whether it's, you know, 10 minutes of doom scrolling on TikTok, whatever gets you, whatever gets you going. Um, and I, and I think that's great strategy too. find the people that are by themselves. Those are going to be the most open to a new conversation, probably also the best way to kind of just warm yourself up as well. Uh, and then I kind of want to like talk about maybe a bit more of a, a challenging interaction to enter something that makes me, you know, feel a little bit of anxiety, even when I think about it sitting here with you and it's interjecting ourselves meaningfully into a group conversation that's already happening. And, and that's something that's a little scary, right? You see two or three people and they're chopping it up. They're having a good time. They don't even see you or know you exist. How do we get ourselves into that conversation? Okay. If their shoes are facing each other, their toes. Okay. Don't try. Don't even try. You Interesting. Thank you. No, a hundred percent. Cause they're just so locked in on each other that they're not even going to be receptive to uh, a newcomer. Right. So they're, they're like this, right? Yeah. Like this and this. If they're like this, they're here's, here's two shoes. Here's two mm -hmm. shoes. Facing the sho the shoes are more out and open. Then you can, that's who you can approach. It doesn't still oh. doesn't mean it's going to work for sure. So this is what I do. I use self-disclosure to start conversations like that. Okay. Hi, I'm Deborah Fine. I don't know anybody here. Am I breaking anything up? I, I'd like to meet some new people. They, it's either awkward, it's completely awkward, and you can tell. And uh, you, you just say something nice, like, "So you, uh, you meet them. Go oh, great to, and, and you get up, you get up, you go away. That, that it usually works. If people's shoes are pointing out. They welcome other people. Interesting. Very, very cool. I, I've Here's certainly another. never even thought of that when thinking of approaching a group. But I, the more I think back on my past in, like uh, scenarios, people that are squared up to each other are not very open to other people joining the conversation. Right. Nor should they have to be. Um, the other thing I do, I do this a lot. If you go to a party and or a meeting or even back to school night, I keep mm -hmm. using that as an example and you um, see someone you know in a group. So let's say I saw Brett and he's in a group of seven to 10, whatever people they're all, they're even huddled, their feet are they're in towards each other. I'll come by, I'll probably touch the back of your arm or your elbow, or I'll just lean in and I'll go, Brett, Deborah Fine, I just wanted to be sure to say hi and, and, and hopefully we'll catch up later in the evening. Mm -hmm. So I've accomplished two things. Number one, I'm really hoping Brett will say, Deborah, join us. Now that doesn't always happen, but 50% of the time it does. Deborah, join us. I want you to meet my, you know, my colleague. I want you to meet my friend. I want you to meet my, half the time, that's how I get into that group. Half the time I don't get in the group, but this is the other thing I've accomplished. Brett knows I said hello to him because here's the other problem. If there's 28 people at a party or 280 people at a party, if you don't get around to say hello to your friends and or clients, do you know what they think about you? They think you're a snob. I mean, I, I feel bad. I went to an event this past Friday afternoon, Friday afternoon, and I, I, I drove home and thought, oh, I saw Leanne and I never got over to say hello. Now, in order to make myself to feel less bad, I thought, well, she probably saw you too and didn't get over to you. So she's not a client. So that's, that's really good, but she is a fellow professional speaker and you know, she lives at least a hundred miles away. So I don't get to see her very often. Sure. So that, that's the key is you do want to get around and touch people. I don't mean by touching their elbow. I mean, let them know they've been seen and heard by you because that's the way to keep your network together too. It's just always saying hi quickly. 
and getting around to deep conversations with other people. But that's the other way to break into a group. Breaking into groups is exactly as you described, Brett. It is difficult. It is. It is. It's difficult. That's why scary. you want to get there early before they yeah. group up. That's a good. That's a good point. That's a really, a really good point. And but I think those are two really solid strategies for for breaking into a group that that you want to get into. So okay. So listen, we, we've entered the networking event, the party. The, we're in a, either a one-on-one conversation or we're in a group conversation. We're we're in the fight now. What, what you know? What is our strategy from here? Like, how do how the hell do we know what to say? Like, are we just asking open-ended questions? Are we jumping on the back of what someone else said? Like. Is there a strategy we keep in mind for the actual meat of the conversation? Well, it's really important to be present. So that's what, why the word strategy scares me. It, um, never walk in a room, though, without two to three things to talk about. The worst time to think of anything to talk about is when there's nothing to talk about. So let me throw out some examples. Um, uh, it depends on where you are, but you say, you know, what brings you to this meeting? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, how did you get into healthcare? I mean... That's free information. It's on their name tag. They're in healthcare. It's a healthcare conference. It's one or the right. other. You know, that's yeah. how, how you would know. Um, uh, what Have you used AI in your business? What do you know about AI? That's a good one, right? Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then you can, no, I don't even know what AI is. Oh, AI is, and be ready with a, de- not a definition, but a one sentence or two sentence. Um, what, do you, what, what are you looking forward to the most about the holidays or come January? Uh, do you... Do you have any New Year's resolutions or do you hate those? I mean, use something that's topical, two to three things to talk about when you walk in the room. And here's something that's really important. If you've met this person before, if you're lucky enough, you've met them, but you don't know them. They're not in your circle. You would be a good example of that, Brett, for me. Like, I don't know you. We're not going to hang out together. We're not going to socialize, yada, yada. But let's just say you have me on again or I run into you at a conference. Yeah. You are an acquaintance. This is how we should interact. This is unfortunately how people do interact with acquaintances. And I, I say poo-poo. Um, extroverts do this a lot. <laughs> so Brett, Brett, watch me show up. I run into you. I remember your name. That's pretty amazing right there. Brett, great to see you. Deborah Fine, I give you the gift of my name. I always give people the gift of your name so they don't have to. Who is she? She had a lot of hair. Talk too fast. What was her name? And then <laughs> a lot of us say things like, so how's that podcast going? Okay, see, he's an acquaintance. If I'm lucky enough to run into Brett, let's say in March of 2024, I'm not going to say to him, how's the podcast? Because what if the podcast is no more? Right, right. You know, it's gone. It didn't. As as goes with many podcasts. You'd almost be. Lots of things in life. (laughs) For sure. I live in Colorado. If you run into me on the ski slopes of Colorado and I met you at a conference for whatever petroleum, da, 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 I don't get to say, How's it going with Texaco? Right. Because unless you're dorky enough to wear a name tag with your company on it, on your parka, which nobody's that dorky, then I'm <laughs> going to say to you, instead of how's Texaco or how's Wells Fargo, how's because watch me show off, you know, extroverts, mm-hmm. they have great memories. How's it going, Wells Fargo? Instead, what I should say to an acquaintance is, bring me up to date. What's new with work since the last time I saw you? And Brett, if I was lucky enough to run into you, that I would say, bring me up to date. What's new with business since the last time I saw you? Now, here's another example. Someone of you runs into me, Brett, or any of you, and you know I'm married. I told you I must have used Steve's not name at least twice. None of you, not one, Brett included, get to say to me, is your husband here? 
I'd like to meet your husband. You said something about dental. What does that mean? I mean, how is he connected to dental? <laughs> is he here? I'd like to talk to him. Well, what if he left me, folks? I mean, really, it's, it's everything. No, for sure. Took all the money, took all, took the house, took the kids, even though they're grown and self-supporting, but he took them. What, you know, <laughs> you don't get to say, where's your husband? If you don't know me, this is what you get to say. What's new with the family, Deborah? or catch me up on the family. So the same thing, I did this with you with your son. I said, mm -hmm. you know, tell, you know, bring me up to date. What's he up to now? What's, what's he up to now? So it's like, if I, if, if I know you have a child that's 18, catch me up. What's new with her plans after high school? Bring me up to date about the project because I know you're working on a project. What's new with the project? What's new in your life since the last time I saw you? These are, I mean, I have lists of them. It's not just that they're open-ended, Brett. Mm -hmm. It's that they're very specific. They're asking for detail. If I say, tell me about your family, I'm not saying that won't work. It probably will work. Uh, or, But if I say, bring me up to date about your work instead of, are you working on a project or how's the project? Yeah, how's the project is open-ended. But if I say, bring me up to date on the project, I'm more likely to get a real answer out of you. So yeah. bring me up to date on your podcast. What's new with your podcast since the last time I saw you? Now, I wouldn't. Once again, I might put my foot in my mouth because there may be no podcast. So I would say, what's new with work since the last time I saw you? That's the, and isn't that better than how are you? Even with my girlfriends, when I say, how are you? They say, fine, how are you? But what I'd like to do is say, well, catch me up, Susan. What's new in your life or what's new with the family since the last mm -hmm. time I saw you? So that's another strategy. Another idea, Brad, if you have time. Of course, absolutely. I think this is all, I mean, this is all great stuff. Just to kind of recap some of the things that you just said. For one, walk into an event with like a few talking items, a few topical open-ended questions that you can maybe bounce on a few different times across different people, but then also stay present, you know, really stay present in your conversation as much as you can. And I think that is just, you know, absolutely pivotal. I know myself, if I'm talking with someone, I, I try not only to listen to what they're saying, but also really closely watch the way their face is moving while they're communicating with me. I feel like if I'm listening and watching them carefully, it's tough for me not to be incredibly present with their message. It's tough for me to start formulating my own message if I'm right. watching you and listening to you at the same time. Um, and then, yeah, ask questions that are going to get you specific detailed answers, right? You know, catch me up on, you know, get, get me up to date on your work. You know, don't just ask someone how they are because right. that's a really tough question to answer in an interesting way. <laughs> it really is. Well, and people also don't necessarily believe that you are sincere. If I say, how are you, Brett? I mean, we don't know each other, but even when you say that to your spouse, like my husband at the end of today, you know what he's going to say to me? Everybody knows. Anybody that has a spouse or a partner, he's going to say, how was your day? Or I don't, I guess how was, he won't remember that I had a podcast and whatever else I did today. He won't know. So he'll just say, how was your day? Yeah. And that's the other problem with conversation today is it's so rhetorical. He'll, um, how was your day means hello. How was your holiday means hello. How is your, um, how's the project? It just means hello now. I can say, how are you? And it just means hello. Like, please don't tell me. I didn't really mean how mm -hmm. are you? I just meant hello. So that's the other um, ingredient here that we need to, that's why I like catch me up on your life or bring me up to date on the family or your son or bring me up to date, catch me up. I like that because it's telling you, I really want to know. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. And I think it's a, it's a great way to phrase things and is it just kind of a, how this works 
Because I'm sure it's a little different with a one-on-one in a group conversation. I know myself in, in a one-on-one conversation, you know, I, I try and shine the light on the other person for a majority of it. I'm kind of more of just a natural listener than I am a speaker. So like I, I'm very comfortable listening to someone, let them talk for two thirds of the conversation. I think most people will appreciate it if you, you know, put the spotlight on them. But if you're in a group conversation, two or three or four people, you can't do that. If you do that the whole time, you might wind up saying nothing at all. So you kind of have to pick your spots and get almost a little bit more aggressive with your talking points in a group conversation. Don't get me wrong. I think it's still important to listen to people, be present, ask questions. But do you find that if you're in like a two or a three or a four person conversation, you kind of almost have to lean forward in your seat a little bit and like pick your spots and wait for the, the, the gaps in conversation where you can interject your words? Like, do you feel there has to be almost a different mindset for that type of interaction? Well, I do. I especially think that, and you're not necessarily the illustration, quiet people mm-hmm. um, often tend to, and I was one of them, would pat myself on the back because at least I wasn't one of you Gabby people talking all the time. <laughs> I did a table of eight and literally in my brain, pat myself, I, what a good listener I was. Cause I, yeah, right. I didn't say anything, but, but I wasn't contributing and you must contribute. If you don't contribute, you do become, as you said, Brett, you didn't use the word, but invisible mm-hmm. and, or people sometimes think you're rude or just a snob, but it never occurs to them. You're shy or so polite that you would never interrupt. So there's great ways without interjecting a story. When, when the time is right, and, and I'll go back to this, then yes, I mean, if somebody is talking about vacations or somebody's talking about a project with wastewater management, after they've finished, you can say, you know, I've done some work in wastewater management. Um, it, it was a couple years ago. I wonder how things have changed and maybe throw the ball back. So it goes back and forth. But uh, <clears throat> the real key here is to use verbal cues. Verbal cues don't mean you're telling a story or taking the, the focus off the other participants who may be talking. It's it's a way to let them know you're listening. For instance, I might say to somebody in the group that's talking, what do you mean by that, Marianne? Or, well, I Jared, um, could you give me an example of what you mean by that? Or, well, well what happened first, Brian? Well, what happened next, Cheryl? Oh, it, oh that must be tough. I, oh, yes, I see what you mean by that. And I try to use their names, and especially when we're in a group like that. Um, if you notice, if you watch any of the news channels, uh, these talking heads, four at a table or three at a table, they'll use people's names. It lets them know, yeah, I'm throwing the ball back to you. Right. But I only give a verbal cue. Um, uh, well, so tell me more, or help me understand what you're, you know, what you're saying. Um, that's a verbal cue. It prompts people to keep talking, but lets them know that you are following along. Let me just piggyback on something you said right before that, and kudos to you, Brett. You're aware that you're listening. You are, I mean, most of us aren't. You're super aware or hyper aware of thinking, I'm gonna be present, I'm gonna listen, the light doesn't need to shine on me. I don't, I think most of us, we, we don't, we're not asking for the glare. We're not asking to be in the spotlight, but so often this is what happens. <clears throat> When I use the word monopolizer, people think, oh, my boss or my mother-in-law, or they just think of all these different kinds of people in our lives, mm-hmm. but they never think of themselves. And I'm just going to suggest to your audience that any of us become monopolizers, whether you're quiet and shy or you're loud and boisterous. 
when you've talked about yourself for more than five minutes or told a story for more than five minutes. And I'd like to keep it to three to four, but five is the absolute maximum. So no matter how, so here we've got a Brett with us, okay? And he, did you see, uh, if you're watching this instead of just listening, he just nodded. When someone nods, that indicates continue, keep going, I understand. That's good, so don't ever do that, Brett, when you're negotiating for a better price on your car. Okay, so. <laughs> good good so, pointer there. Right, so what will happen is the Bretts of the world, let's say he says, so uh, Deborah, you mentioned um, you lost a lot of weight. How did you do it? So, okay, so I would give him a good answer. And then Brett, is, Brett gives verbal cues, but that's part of his job, but I'm guessing he does it in his real life as well. Uh-huh, I see what you mean. Mm, oh, that's good, uh-huh. And then I'm still talking about how I lost all that weight five more minutes. I don't even realize how time's just flown by because he has such good eye contact. His body language seems eager to hear what I have to say. Mm -hmm. He's seems like he's really listening. So I've lost track of time because this feels so good to be listened to so well. Don't let that happen to you. Don't ever let that happen to you again. When the breaths of the world are there, they're kind, they're listeners, they're generous with their, you know, with their, with their listening. You get to, after four minutes of talking about my weight, I get to throw the ball back to him and say, "Tell me about you. I don't know much about you, Brett. Tell me about you know how you got into this." And, and I think that's a good I'm way to think about it. Monopolizer. Is throwing the ball back and forth, right? We're kind of playing a game right. of you know ver verbal ping pong, you know, so, so to speak. And you know, you don't want to just bogart the ball and hold the ball the entire time. No, no one likes that kid on the playground. That that, that that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I just like that you use the word Bogart. I didn't know that you used that in your generation. So, and I <laughs> understand it, which says a lot about me. You know, I think I'm, I'm one of the only people I know, I think, that actually says Bogart. But I think I say it, you know, at least once or twice a week. And, and I love that word. I, use that, but I get a lot of blank stares, so I try to stop using <laughs> so you 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 tapped on something quickly there about you know making good eye contact and of course that's an important part of any effective communicator's arsenal you know when you're coaching up clients and you're coaching them on you know specifically nonverbal communication whether you're in a group or one-on-one -on -one, um is eye contact kind of the most important thing you touch on are there other things in a nonverbal way that you say people should do with their bodies while they're in these types of you know communication settings well, body language is equal to eye contact. I think if you're struggling, if somebody's struggling with eye contact with you, and we all know this has happened, become felt awkward the way they mm -hmm. looked at us or whatever, just try to look here, yeah. in the middle between their brows if you can, because maybe it'll, it's just less awkward. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, the real key is for me not to be looking around the room while I'm talking to you. That's, yeah. that's where that's... we blow it. Now, I can say to you, Brett, you know, I'm, I'm, my husband's going to, come here and I just want him to be able to find me. So I'm going to keep my eyes posted at the door back and forth. So I've let you know that's what's going to happen. But body language is key. Like, let me, I, I, I'm not going to stand up, but just the top of my body, pretend I'm at a party. So mm -hmm. can you see me at a party? Right. You look a little closed off, a little nervous. Yep. And then t touching your face, looking down like at her desk, like look at me at my desk, pretend I'm the pediatrician or the uh, lawyer. I'm relaxed. I'm interviewing yeah. you for a job. I mean, I'm relaxed. I, right. I have a job. You don't have a job. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. So both of those illustrations um, depicted, I believe, people that aren't aware of their body language. And sure. so that's what I'd like to suggest to your audience is that 
the times that we don't have good body language is because we're unaware. We're just, we just fall into these, this routine. Mm-hmm. Um, people that appear nervous or ill at ease at parties, they don't do that on purpose to look nervous no. at ease. They are unaware of their body language. So when I walk in a room, I just take a deep breath and I tell myself to exude confidence. Now, not like overt aggression, just like, and I have to find a smile. Like even now on your podcast, I keep reminding myself to smile. I, my, the, my real personality is not a, I'm not a smiley person. I am not vivacious, but I, I need to smile. So I appear warm. I've sure. been told I, my voice sounds very harsh. So I have to, I haven't done a good job of changing my voice, but I'm not going to change it, but there you go. But I always try to find a smile and appear warm. Um, even if I, I'm never nervous really anymore, but on the occasion that I might've been, I, let's say I walk into your home for the first time and I, I don't know anyone, I'm going to appear relaxed and at ease because nobody wants to be with someone that doesn't seem relaxed and at ease. So be aware of your body language, let people know you're really paying attention and that you're present um, because we can tell, you know, everybody can tell when they're not being listened to, you know, how often has it happened to all of us where I said something 10 seconds ago and then you asked me about it and I know you weren't listening because I disclosed that I had kids 10 seconds ago and then do you have any kids? By the way, don't ask people if they have any kids and don't. If I ask Brett if he has a wife, husband, spouse, have I? No, it's been hard, but I haven't done it. (laughs) Don't ask people if they're married. Don't ask people if they have children. It's just not a great way to launch a conversation. It's Um, not. I do have a good way to launch a conversation as an alternative, by the way. Do you want to hear it, Brett? Would love to hear it. Would love to hear it. You can hear my dog. I apologize. No, it's okay. Your dog's launching in a conversation, I'm guessing, with Steve right now. My my dog dog has had many occasions. It was a virtual world there for a couple of years, my my dog. Anyways, um, so my favorite way to get to know somebody, Brett, because we do want to develop a personal relationship obviously at a party we do but in our business relationships we do too we talked about that early on you and i sure we want to connect with those people so that they become part of the team so that they feel valued and there's trust built and they have confidence in our expertise and all those things the best way to get to know somebody is not to say to them are you married because what if they say no where are we headed right don't ask them do they have any kids because what if they don't and then if they do usually they won't shut up about it so that's a whole nother problem (laughs) correct this is what i ask everyone if i know you work so i know brett works okay i know he works because i looked him up i mean he invited me and he he's not i work what do you call a person that does all that (laughs) on the internet he's not i'm not one of those people i swear right um okay so uh i uh I, i this is what i would say to him what keeps you busy outside of your work, Brett? So how, how do you answer that when people, that's my favorite way to get to know somebody. If I meet somebody in any um, association or industry conference or, you know, and they're, they're in uh, an oil and gas, whatever, or they're in fashion or they're a, a nurse or a doctor or whatever, what keeps you busy outside of your work? And that is how I get to know them. And the people, by the way, when you ask that question, they get to disclose what they want you to know. Not necessarily right. what you want to know. So maybe, maybe Brett, even though he has a kid, maybe when I say what keeps you busy outside of work, he goes, well, I've tried yoga again recently. It hasn't gone mm-hmm. that well. He might offer me that. He might say, you know, I saw that TV, that documentary about whatever. Who know? I'm looking forward to a visit from my brother. Um, it's, it's, if I don't know that you work, so I meet you at a neighborhood party. 
So what keeps you busy besides going to neighborhood parties? And then you tell me what you want me to know. If I meet you on the soccer field, what keeps you busy besides carpooling your kids in and out of everywhere? Then I find out, are you a stay-at-home parent? Are you in transition? Are you, do you work? If you disclose that, you may disclose something. You know, I stay busy because I, I, you know, I'm really a fan of the food bank and I try to spend as much time helping them as I can. Now I have something to talk with you about. And it just is a, it's, it's, it's just a great way to find out about people without putting them on the spot. If I meet you at a rotary meeting, what keeps you busy outside of rotary? If I meet you at church or synagogue, what keeps you busy outside of synagogue? It's just the best way I know to get to know somebody. That's a great question. That really is. That is so good. What, what keeps you busy outside of, you know, this particular setting that right. I'm meeting you in. And I especially love the one, what keeps you busy outside of work? Cause there's a lot of people that, don't necessarily love their jobs. It's not really what they're passionate about. They might much rather speak about their rock climbing hobby that keeps them busy outside of work. I, I think, I, I think that is that's a phenomenal question to ask anybody that you're that you find yourself interacting with. But even if they love their work, what happens is that you'll if you're at a work conference or you're at a meeting or you're gonna you know hope to get their business, you're gonna find out about the work piece. Because that's mm -hmm. going to, you know, you go from small talk to the big talk. So why don't you just, I like to say, put a picture frame of small talk around every business conversation before and or after the selling of the widget, the provision of the service, the negotiation of the whatever, the presentation before or after, start with small talk or end with small talk or both. And that's how we develop business relationships. Or, uh, so that's the that's the way I find out something more about you besides the fact that you're um, a, a landman or an architect or a podcaster or whatever it may be. So, so that's why I love it. And I also don't like to label people. Oftentimes, I know myself as a woman, I was a stay-at-home mom at one time. And people um, would know, we called it a housewife or a stay-at-home mom. I, what do they call it now? I have no idea. So, um, and you'd say you'd say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and people just didn't have anything to say to me after that. And the obvious, I think, would have been, well, what keeps you busy outside of your kids? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I totally agree. And I think just because someone earns their living being an accountant just doesn't mean that's all they are. If they exactly. DJ on the weekends, then they're a DJ too. And if they go rock climbing twice a year, then they're also a rock climber. They are all of these things. Right. And I think so often we just get stuck in the trap of, I am just what earns me money. And that's exactly. really, and that's just and we not label people that way. A hundred percent. And that's why when I meet somebody and you're in our case, we had to, this is business. But if I meet somebody at a party, I don't go say, what do you do? I say, how do you know the host or hostess? Oh, well, we work together. Oh, what kind of work do you do? Then it's okay to ask them. Love it. I love it. De Deborah Fine, thank you so much for being here today. I mean, anyone oh. listening is going to take two or three or four things away from this conversation that I think they can easily implement into their next cocktail party and really just get more out of it. Where can people, you know, follow you, keep up with you online and just, you know, learn what's going on, all, all things Deborah Fine? Well, just go to my website, DebraFine.com. I have all the different spellings, but the real spelling is I own all the different spellings. Is Deborah D E B R A Fine F I N E dot com. DebraFine.com. And there you'll see where I'm on Facebook and Instagram and X. Yes, Twitter. And now LinkedIn. called X. And actually you'll see if you're interested, just recently I was interviewed uh, on the reporter coined this phrase, the the nurse nurse 
narcissist conversationalists. And, and we sort of touched on it today in a big way. And so it'll be, there's a, I posted the article. Definitely go check that out, guys. Thank Deborah you. Fine, she is the real deal. I am so excited we had oh, you on the show. Amazing. You were great to work with, really. A lot of energy. I loved it. Positive. Thanks, Deborah. And, and thank you for everyone who is out there listening right now. This has been Communication Nation, and we will catch you next week.